All right. Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 2, please. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. And the message is entitled, Wise Men Still Seek Jesus. Today we are impressed with things that really have no real value or importance for the most part. Our culture is very superficial. Our chaotic world has people distracted, fearful, and doubtful regarding the future. But the scriptures always point us to the true hope of man, Jesus Christ. As we look to the history of man, there's been some horrible times. We're just in one of those more horrible times than ever. Uh, because it's not only a local, it's worldwide. It's not just national, it's worldwide. Listen to the prophet Isaiah cry out, Oh, that you would rent the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. Isaiah 64.1. Isaiah prayed six, seven hundred years, years earlier that God might rent the heavens and come down. The birth of Jesus is the answer to Isaiah's prayer. <laughs> the shaking of the mountains, that will happen in the second coming. First coming, he came humble, meek, to be the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. So what we want to do is look at the account of the wise men regarding the birth of Jesus, which unfolds for us in a threefold movement. Let me read here verse 1 through 12 of chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judah in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, the scribes, and all the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. The account of the wise men regarding the birth of Christ unfolds the following three movements. First, we have the wise men came seeking out the king of the Jews, verse 1 through 3. Secondly, the wise men were sent out to locate the king of the Jews, verse 4 through 8. And thirdly, the wise men found the king of the Jews, verse 9 through 12. The wise men came seeking out the king of the Jews is how Matthew begins the story here. Notice the arrival in verse 1 of the wise men is to Jerusalem. Um, the wise men came in the days when Herod, uh, the king, reigned. Um, 
He's an interesting guy. He is said to be king, a title that he constantly sought out through Rome and finally obtained it in 40 B.C. And he reigned for about 37 years, yet never was really recognized as king by the Jews. He was Herod the Great, the son of Antipater, an Edomian, in other words, from Edom, Esau. Esau is the twin brother of Jacob, a perennial enemy always, a type of the flesh against the things of God. His uh, genealogy was marred. When Jesus was born, the scepter literally departed from Judah. A foreign power was upon the throne, Rome, and that was predicted and prophesied in Genesis 49.10. They didn't have complete rule over themselves sovereignly any longer. Um, it was about 1,200 some even say maybe up to 1,500 miles journey. Um, could be 25 to 30 to 35 days, somewhere in there with a caravan. A long journey, a dangerous journey. Not one that someone would just take adventure. But as we're going to see, these individuals were certain of what they were searching for and the fact that it existed, that person. Now, the wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, verse 1 says, and the word behold indicates a sudden and unexpected arrival of these wise men. In other words, what they were seeking, nobody else was seeking or aware of. Just caught them by surprise. They're called wise men. The word is magos, and if you know Spanish, magos means sort of magician. Um, the root word comes from the word meaning great, but it is... Um, it came to mean magician, a soothsayer, a diviner associated with astrology. Now, you remember the book of Daniel when we studied that. Daniel chapter 2, verse 4, 10, 12, and 48. Uh, there were the soothsayers, the, uh, the um, uh, Chaldean uh, diviners, all of that, uh, that Daniel went against. And he was more proficient than all of them altogether and was chosen over them. Um, these men are not seekers of the occult or astrology. God would not be using them, as we're going to see. Remember, the Jews had been in Babylon, Medo-Persia, and the scriptures were very familiar to them. Not that they all believed it, but just like we preach the gospel, not everybody believes it, but the ones that do, they come to understand what the scriptures mean. Um, they were seeking the birth of a king as we're going to see. Now, they came from the east. Some think maybe Midia or Persia, modern-day Iran. But most likely, probably because of the influence of Daniel, um, Babylon, modern-day Iraq more particularly. Um, though Daniel did move into the Medo-Persian Empire and was a great influence. Um, now, notice the inquiry of the wise men at Jerusalem in verse 2, the wise men asked Herod, because he's a king, supposedly, right, of the Jews. Where is he who has been born of the Jews? The question implies there had been an announcement and a certainty of this particular birth of the king. They're not asking if a king was born. They're telling the king that a king was born. Which, if you know Herod, is doesn't go well with him. The errorist tense indicates a past fact. 
absolutely certain. The scriptures were known again in Babylon, Nineveh, Persia, Melek, Daniel, Jonah, and others. The wise men told Herod, For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. You can imagine as you know, Herod must have thought, Oh, these guys from the east, they come to, to see me. They've heard of me. And all of a sudden, what's coming out of their mouth isn't fitting well with them, you know. When he was relaxed on his throne, when he's hearing these words, his hands clutching the, his armrest and his gut. And he, this kind of stuff is not good for people like Herod. They don't like this kind of stuff. As they saw it from the east, therefore they travel west towards Israel. And they came to worship, which means to kiss the hand or to prostrate yourself either on your knees or your face to the ground something that was very customary in the middle east and many of those cultures as reverence obeisance and a recognition that you are before someone of higher rank than yourself now nowhere are we told that there were three wise men yet tradition teaches this, but it's not biblical. It is amazing how often the theology that Christians learn, they learn from movies or, 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 or stories, that, but not from the scriptures. You've got to go to the scriptures. Nowhere are we told there are three. It was a caravan. Sometimes uh, probably because of the three gifts, they are associated with three, but uh, that's not the case as many other things. Now, we even have their names by tradition, Casper, Melchor, and Belshazzar, uh, which are not, you know, they're just, you know, they could have been, you know, Mickey, Daffy Duck, and Pluto. I mean, you know, it, 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 you might as well choose those names. Now, look at verse 3. The mission of the wise men disturbed Herod tremendously. The words spoken by the wise men brought an immediate response from Herod. In verse 3, when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. The word trasso means to be agitated, to be perplexed. He was on the throne that he had sought out all his life. He had no room for a rival to eclipse him, let alone remove him from his throne. He personally had no room for Jesus to rule over him. None at all. Notice the consequence of his agitation carried over to those he ruled over. It says, in all Jerusalem with him, meaning troubled, agitated. He heard the great was a complete madman, paranoid of losing his throne. He was a nut job, crazy. He killed two of his sons in 7 B.C., Aristobulus and Alexander. And in 4 B.C., not too long before his death, he executed another son, Antipater. He killed some of his wives and he executed large numbers of people, including prominent Pharisees. And he imprisoned some prominent individuals um, to be executed the minute that he died so that there would be someone grieving at his death. So when he died the people were released and there was a celebration instead of a, a mourning, just the opposite of that. 
He was crazy. But people who have a lust for power, for control, that they just abuse their position, they have always been and always will be. The supposed king, Herod, had no answer for his wise men. Did you notice that? When they asked him, he said, I don't know. Wasn't even on his agenda. He was completely ignorant about the birth and he was living for self and power. Luke um, chapter 2, 10 through 11 says, the angel said to the shepherds, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Very clearly, Luke points it out very, very clearly, a different perspective from the one we have in this. Now, Herod is an accurate picture of every person that does not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, sitting on the throne of their own life. They call the shots. As sinners, we love to exercise our own authority to be recognized. As sinners, our pride hates rivals and that diminish our self-importance because we are so prone to boasting what we do and how we've got it. As sinners, we are ignorant about the things of God and our need of salvation from sin. We, we think that we're sufficient in ourselves, and yet God says there's not one good, no, not one. Yet God is faithful to send the gospel message to all sinners in spite of their rejection of the gospel, trusting in their own intellect and rationalizing heaven and judgment as a belief for fools. And yet it is the greatest message of love to any person. The gospel of the world that he gave his son to save sinners. Wow. Paul puts it this way. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You and I were there before Christ. We might have heard about Christ, we knew the Christmas story, whatever, but we weren't born again. We didn't understand the importance of that important truth to transform our lives. The people in our nation have been lulled to sleep about their need of God by believing in a variety of things for their worldview, just like Herod. They believe in their own inner potential and abilities. You hear it all over the TV, the magazines, all over, you know, dig deep. It's in you. You can do it. Others believe in their academic achievements or amoral politically correctness for their wisdom and success. Liberal progressivism is liberal, liberal uh, regressivism. And politically correctness is vocabulary deception. You see, they always tell you what it means, but it means just the opposite. All-inclusive is not all-inclusive. Everybody except Christians. Diversity means different, not the same. Oh, we got to think. New vocabulary. Redefine the English language. 
Still others believe in the many forms of religion, reincarnation, pantheism, the new age, it even creeps into the church, believing that they are spiritual. This is the new buzzword. You should, people used to say, are you Christian? Now they say, are you spiritual? I'm spiritual. That means you could be in the occult or whatever. It just means that you, you like spiritual things. The new age taps into the demons, so you're spiritual, yeah? thinking that they're working for you, but really they're enslaving you. Wow. When such people are confronted with the good news of the gospel, that they are sinners and that Jesus was the atonement for their sins and they need to be forgiven and accept them as Savior, they will interpret your words as self-righteous, judgmental, unloving. And yet it is just the opposite. It is the most loving message you can ever give to anybody. I think what's important is that our tone of voice when we speak to people. We can ruin the gospel by our tone, by our attitude. The gospel is to be proclaimed with all the love of God. And when the rejection comes, it's a rejection of Christ, not of me. Not of us. And rather than being angry, it should break my heart when that gospel is rejected. I have to remember that. John 3, 19-21 says that this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest the deeds should be exposed, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. We are attracted to darkness. You remember being in the world? You get into a party about 9, 10 o'clock, and at first you get in there, you can't really see everybody. It's kind of dark. You walk in the room, you turn the light on, like, hey, turn that light on. Okay. And then after about five minutes, your eyes acclimate. Now you can see faces clear. Hey, dude, how are you doing? We are attracted to dark. We acclimate to darkness. That's the old sin nature. The age that we are living in is an age of God-haters who, like Herod, are very militant and, um, to impose their views by educators and legislators now. The first time I taught this text was 1992, 25 years ago. The animosity and intolerance for conservatives and Christians has grown immensely in the last 25 years. Marginalizing people that speak against relativism and instead preach the gospel. They target people who do not agree or vote like them. Did you notice this last election? You can count the stickers for Trump on this hand. But what happened election? You know why? Because for the first time in our nation, the people were intimidated and fearful of the liberal socialist retaliation. That has never happened in our nation in her history. It has happened for the first time. The problem is not national, ladies and gentlemen. It's worldwide. The Bible has told us about it. I used to teach about the last days. 
Now we're in the last days. They're here. They use the media and those in power to get their agenda accomplished. Welcome to the world. Nothing new. Mark 14, 63 through 64 says, Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What, uh, what, what do you think? And they all condemn him to be deserving of death. There has never been anything more unjust than the death of Jesus Christ. He had no sin in and of himself. He did no wrong. He became the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. And they killed him. The most unjust act that has ever been perpetrated and carried through in this world. The wise men came seeking out the king of the Jews at Jerusalem. Notice, secondly, now we see the wise men that were sent out to locate the king of the Jews, 4 through 8. In 4 through 6, Herod called together the religious men of Jerusalem. Uh, he determined to seek out. Um, the so-called spiritual giants of his day, the Sanhedrin, composed of 71 members. It says, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together. The chief priests here were the ones who sought God for the people, the go-betweens, the mediators. The scribes were the transcribers, the interpreters of the scripture, the lawyers. And uh, these were the men who were to lead and advised the people of God on spiritual matters, but they weren't spiritual themselves. It's like you going to a mechanic that only knows the names of parts, but he doesn't know how they work. That'd be crazy. We have this today in many of our seminaries. We have Fuller Seminary down the street here. It's become so liberal with neo-Orthodox and now emergentism and everything else. Doesn't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, infallibility of Scripture. Yet they're pumping out pastors to be put in the pulpits of America. Wow. These were men that were false leaders. They were men having an appearance of being spiritual, but were not. They possessed accurate biblical truths, but it did not affect them. They spoke with theological language, but God did not hear them. They express their experiences with God, but often contradicting Scripture. This is today the emergent church. They're teaching experiential theology that contradicts Scripture, beyond Scripture, in addition to Scripture. The plumb line is the Word of God, ladies and gentlemen. They boasted in their academic accomplishments to affirm their spiritual qualifications, yet many of them were not doers of the Word. We get the word actor, hypocrite, Jesus said. Motu, scribes and Pharisees, actors behind the mask, the smile and the frown of theater. That's where we get it. They did not live with the people, but separate from the people. They thrived in their recognition from the people. They loved the praise of men. If you could be a fly on the wall on some of these pastor meetings, leadership meetings, or boards of some of these uh, denominations and, and uh, churches, you would die. I so thank God for every one of you. 
that you would work hard all week long and be part of the church and come and serve as an usher and to get involved with the kids and do everything else. I thank God for you. That's God, that's God doing the thing. It's amazing to me. What a privilege we have to see you. It's an encouragement to us. That one of you would come to hear the word of God, I would be most privileged. That's why I never cancel any studies, whether there's one or there's a hundred or three hundred. It doesn't matter to me. I don't study any harder for a hundred than I do for one. <laughs> Whoever comes, hears, and grows and depends on the Lord. And we so thank God for every one of you. Notice he asked the religious men about the prophetic location of the Messiah's birth. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So Herod was not a Jew, again, an Edomite, okay? So we had some awareness of Scripture. He, he's not interested. Herod was not interested in the Jewish Messiah. He was self-centered as a man, not God-centered. That's a problem. Herod was not looking for the coming of Messiah, but rather keeping himself on his throne that was a threat to him by the birth of Messiah. He is freaking out right now. His adrenaline is flowing. His mind is turning. He is going all over. He's got his spies. He's got everything going right now. Herod was anxious, waiting to hear the location in order to order the destruction of this child. Look at verse 5. He heard the religious men utter the prophetic city. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. The specific city is declared, Bethlehem of Judah, the birthplace of the king of the Jews. Bethlehem means house of bread, as you know, five to six miles south of Jerusalem. Rachel was buried there. Ruth lived there. David's home was there. This was the district of the city of Bethlehem, distinct from Bethlehem in Galilee that is given to us in Joshua 19.15, two different places. You know, there's a Pasadena over in Texas. There is a Las Vegas over some of the places, but, you know, you got to distinguish what state they're in, right? Different locations. Now, the text is from Micah. They said the prophet singular. Sometimes Matthew will name the prophets. Sometimes it'll be plural. This is singular. Micah 5.2. They had the high privilege of possessing the revelation of God, but not the passion or illumination of God. It was Greek to them. <laughs> the scriptures had been proclaimed 700 years earlier. God's always right on time. Whether he gives a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled in a day, a week, or a month, or a thousand years, it will be fulfilled. Look at verse 6. He heard the twofold revelation of the prophecy. The privilege of Bethlehem, despite her seeming insignificance, comes first. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among rulers of Judah. Micah says, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, which indicates the same thing. Though she was a small insignificance, she was raised to the highest privilege. God doesn't care if you are uh, rich. He doesn't care if you're famous. He cares if you're repentant. That's what he cares about. He's not impressed with us. 
Secondly, you have the preeminence of the child to be born. He was to be the ruler and shepherd. He says, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. My people, God. Speaking about the shepherd, his son. Now, the one to lead with authority and one to tend the flock of God, Israel, is described as the shepherd feeding the people two verses down in Micah 5, 4. Some point out that this last portion, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, that it comes from 2 Samuel 5, 2 regarding David. Though that can be found that way, verse 4 of Micah describes exactly the function of this ruler. And by the way, Micah says... He is eternal from everlasting, from the vanishing point. God became man, once again, affirming who he was. Now Herod was listening to men who spoke the scriptures without having a concern for the Messiah of scripture. They were not anticipating the Messiah's coming. One of the things, one of the chief characteristics that I see that is not good in the church today is no one, not, not, let me back up. Many do not have a passion for the coming of Christ again the second time, whether it be the rapture or the second coming. I don't see that. They're distracted in all kinds of different other things, making community and doing this, doing that. There's no passion. When we got saved in the early 70s, there was a passion. The Lord was coming. The Lord had come and he's coming. Other periods in history, same passion. They were not excited about the birth of Messiah. They had no desire to be ruled and guided by the Messiah. Herod wanted to make sure he remained on his own throne. This is people all the time. One of the chief things that, the, uh, that, that we see today is the preoccupation again with social work, being involved socially and making community and all that. Now, there's nothing wrong with helping people, but the gospel is the most important thing. You have to be careful. Now, look at verse 7 through 8. Herod called the wise men to come before him then. He was being deceptive to the wise men with his words. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. Again, he is, his, his wheels are turning. He, is, he feels threatened. He's paranoid. He summoned them secretly, privately, so as not to draw attention to himself or be suspected. It's amazing how smart crazy people are. You know, they plot out, they think all they're saying, then they commit their crime, then they take him to court, and they say he was insane. Well, if you're insane, you can't figure things out. You can't plot, you can't. It's ridiculous. The word determined means to learn carefully and to know accurately. Look at eight. He discovered or covered up his motive and true intent by hypocrisy, duplicity. Man is good for that. Herod sent them out 
as his own private search party. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. Bethlehem again, located in that ridge, about 33,000 foot elevation. Some of you have been there with us as we sit there and give a Bible study overlooking down the shepherd's field. Five to six miles south of Jerusalem. It wouldn't take long to get there, probably about 45 minutes or so. From now, then maybe an hour, an hour or so. Uh, Herod gave them an imperative command, by the way. He wasn't asking. And when you have found him, bring back word to me. He was ordering them. Herod lied to them that I may come and worship him also. He falsely communicated his desire to worship the Messiah. This happens all the time for whatever reasons that people have. He used pretentious and fraudulent words to accomplish the evil desire to destroy Messiah, as we'll see from verse 13 on to the end tonight. At his birth, Luke tells us, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. What an incredible day that was. Little footnote by Luke that we can fit in here. What a day. Luke two thirteen and 14. When God rent the heavens according to Isaiah's prayer and sent his son down. The presence of people like Herod who appear to be interested in biblical truth often is for self-gain. They will always be with us and they will come from a variety of motives. Some only seek financial and physical help taking advantage of Christians and Christianity. Others simply to find a mate to marry. They come to church fishing. Yeah. But God throws them a curse sometimes. They think they get a goldfish and they get jaws. <laughs> Interesting. Still others are only seeking a position of power and leadership over people. Place of prominence. The scripture says, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess unless they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. John twelve forty two. So God in his mercy, these people that we're talking about, the Sanhedrin and all that, some did open their heart. Nicodemus did. Joseph Amethia. And those who were open got saved. That's God's graciousness. The history of the church reveals there has always been individuals in ministry, be they pastors or evangelists, that like the priests and the scribes only have an appearance of spirituality. Now all of us are more carnal than we want to be. But being a Christian, we realize this, so we want to cultivate the life of the Spirit. We don't want to cater to the life of the flesh or live that way because that's not good for me or anybody else around me. So there's no way the Bible teaches any perfection, but there are some people that they just cater to that, but they put a mask on, as we said before. They are in it for money. They're in it for the admiration of the people. 
They're in it to exercise power and authority over the people. You'd be amazed and just so disrespectful the way some pastors and leaders address the people that serve them and come to the church. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even talk like that in a decent, respectful society. There's certain protocol for an adult and a mature person to be gracious and to have manners in society. Even in a society like that wouldn't be tolerated. How much more when people say, well, I'm a pastor, well, I'm an elder, when I'm this and that, and, and, and they're just power over the people, disrespectful. Hmm. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. Mark 9.35 says, And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and serve all. You know the apostles had a problem, right? They were always asking who was the greatest in the kingdom. <laughs> Three times it's recorded, the last time in the Last Supper, right when Jesus is going to go die. You see, that's the problem of every person if they don't walk in the Spirit. We always want to be first. By the way, when Jesus asked, one of you will betray me, every one of them said, is it I? Twelve times, is it I? They all knew they had the potential to betray Jesus. Interesting. There are church leaders who are like the priests and scribes that have no concern for the coming of Messiah, but only in advancing themselves and making this world a better place through community and good works. Again, the emergent church fits in this pattern. They do not believe and they reject the life of Jesus as vicarious for their sins. They say it's only an example, denying the very heart of the gospel. He's the propitiation for our sins, 1 John 2.2, 2, John 3.16. Rick Warren is one of them. Leonard Sweet, McLaren, and many of them. How can you follow people like that? It's impossible. Yet they call themselves Christian. They use the Bible. Wow. Two books you should have on your bookshelf. One is Faith Undone by my friend Roger Oakland. And the second is by Paul Smith, the brother of Chuck Smith, the new evangelicals. This shows you the whole liberal transition that took over Fuller and everything else. He and Chuck were all there with these guys. You knew these guys. Two little, the one's a little book. The other one's not that big. But it quotes all the new age guys and the seeker friendly of Rick Warren and all of them. You should have those two books. Very, very important. You'll understand what's going on and why we're here. Now, They believe it's a complete waste of time to concern yourself with the prophecy of the second coming. In fact, Rick Warren says that Jesus never talked about the second coming. He, 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 he didn't concern himself about that. Really? Wow. So you build community. You have all your drones building your kingdom. They use deceptive language. You can partner up with us. You can own part of this harvest crusade. Wow. 
The people have to understand that unless they make this movie hit the theaters, we won't be able to put it all over the world. So it's not up to God not to do this, but it's people who are going to do this. And of course, it's your financial support, right? Wow. Everybody starts out well. They don't finish well, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, keep your eyes on the horses, okay? <laughs> See how they finish. They believe anyone can come to God. Not particularly necessarily through Jesus Christ. The Holy Merchant Church teaches contemplative prayer. In other words, you can go to God. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be born again. You can do it through yoga. You can do it through any kind of medium. They teach this. Read their own books. Read their books. First hmm. Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. So literally demons speaking through these men. Heretype individuals are deceptive in their words. They're self-centered, self-willed, self-absorbed, selfish. Listen to Proverbs 12, 6, 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. First thing God hates on, the, on, on his list of evil, lies, liars. First thing. The wise men were sent out to locate the king of the Jews in Bethlehem. The third and last movement, the wise men found the king of the Jews, 9 through 12. Look at verse 9 and 10. The wise men were seeking the king over their lives. They were led by God to greater truth out of sincere seeking. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. So they had no idea Herod was lying. That didn't affect them. They were just to obey God. But they took him at his word and they heard the king. And they continued on in their sincere dedication. They departed. So often God protects you. If you only knew how many times God has protected you. If we only knew how many times God has protected this church. We don't know. This room is full of good and bad angels. You can't see them, but they're here. Warfare going on. They were led by God, notice. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east, and it went before them. So the star was not some constellation of Saturn, Jupiter, Halley's Comet, or a supernova like people try to make. A lot of people are doing a lot with these storms and, and, and this uh, blood moons and, and the latest eclipse and all that. Get away from these people. Bubblegum theology. This star was a divine sign of God used to guide them from the east towards the west and now to Bethlehem. They were not satisfied till they stood before the Messiah. Listen to the words. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. Literally, having come took its stand, the heiress tense. The star had to have been fairly low to indicate the particular house. You don't point to a house 10,000 feet in the air. 
no star moves in direction for some time, then stops, then disappears, then appears again, then moves, and then finally stops over a house. Sometimes Christians that want to be intellectually accepted fall prey for natural things like Saturn and, you know, Halley's Comet or whatever. There's no need for that. Read the text. It tells you exactly what it was. Notice they understood their long search for the newly born king and Messiah was over. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. The word rejoice means to be glad. The adjectives, notice that follow, are piled on to describe the incredible satisfaction and emotions that ran through them right now. The final arrival, they were glad with exceeding mega joy. When somebody has a lot of money, say he has mega bucks. That's the word, mega. They had been persistent in seeking the Messiah and found him as he and the others were guided. Notice, God is always the initiator. I found Jesus because God initiated. I responded. Always that's the case. They sought a person, not a system, not a philosophy, but God incarnate, the birth of the king of the Jews. Notice in 11, the wise men were true to their intent once God revealed to them the Messiah. They entered the house, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped her. Is that what your Bible says? No. They worshipped him. The place was a house, not a cave or an outdoor enclosure. Time had elapsed since the birth of Jesus now. Possibly two years since Herod will give the order in 2.16 to murder from two years down all the males there in um, Bethlehem. The first thing that caught their eye as they step in, they've been coming now, that's 1,200, 1,500 miles. They've gone to Jerusalem. Here they come. The young child with Mary, his mother. That was the first sight in their eyes. The young child. Jesus is not in a, a baby in a manger here. Jesus is always mentioned first before Mary in the record. He is the focus, not Mary. Joseph is not even mentioned. The last time we hear of Joseph is when Jesus is 12 years old in the temple scene with the doctors. The wise men fell down and worshipped him, not Mary. The word worship again is like the previous one, proskuneo, to prostrate yourself, kiss the hand before a superior. This was God in living flesh, the long-awaited Messiah, the King of the Jews. Their journey had been successful. Hmm. Notice they gave of the best they had. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They came with treasures. The word treasures is where we get our word thesaurus from. It means a place which good and precious things are collected and laid up. The present gift, Doran, to him, presents, 
as an expression of adoration, love, honor, and reverence. They gave Jesus three things, notice. They gave him gold, symbolic of his deity and his office of king. They gave him frankincense, symbolic of his priestly and sacrificial service that he would offer. And they gave him myrrh, symbolic of his office as prophet who would die. It's uh, used for embalming, as we know. By the way, Psalm 72, 10 through 11 and 15 and Isaiah 60, verse 5 through 6 also declares about kings coming to Jesus' obeisance, uh, not only the first time, but in the kingdom age. And that all the kings will come before him and all the nations. Notice in 12, the wise men, having found the Messiah, was instructed by God to return home. They were worn as they were asleep. Now, how many of you warn a person while they're asleep? You freak them out when you, you know, but they're worn while they're asleep. Then being divinely worn in a dream, revealing the faithfulness of God to speak to them in dreams. This is the pattern that um, we see in Scripture in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, 212, 2.13, 2.19, 2.22. Dreams, dreams, dreams. While they're asleep, God speaks to them. Revealing the loyalty of, of the wise men. Their hearts being opened. God knowing their obedience. They were warned about Herod that they should not return to Herod, protecting them from the evil plot of Herod and protecting them from the loss of their own lives from Herod. This guy would not think twice to take their heads off. Notice they were obedient to God. They departed for their own country another way. We're not told a country. Once again, because of the description prior around Babylon. Revealing their dependency on God alone and revealing their trust in God's way. God was directing, leading, and guiding. But how did they even believe this? The scriptures. It was the scriptures that declare very clearly that a king had been born. It's in scripture. The angel said... To the shepherds, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloth lying in the manger. Luke 2.12, very specific. When you put all the three synoptics together, you get a clear picture of how incredibly detailed the announcement and the birth of Jesus Christ the Messiah was. The wisest thing any person can do is to seek Jesus to be king of their lives seeing themselves as lost sinners as revealed by Scripture regardless of our own accomplishments. Our accomplishments cannot save us, cannot justify us before God. Seeing our need of forgiveness regardless of how moral or ethical we might be or have been all fall short of the glory of God. Seeing our need of a Savior, regardless of our good works, again, but only grace alone. Nothing else. Understanding my own person, my own evil heart, my own potential for evil, my own desire to love me more than anybody else. People say, you know, I just can't forgive myself. Be quiet. Stop it. 
I never have a problem forgiving myself. I have a problem forgiving you. I'm, I know I can forgive me. I'm good. You, you're good for nothing. Isn't that the way we think? Wow. Romans 3, 10 and 12 says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. That word unprofitable is the word for rotten produce. If you ever work the market, you know you get returns on anything. You break a pop bottle, you keep the cap, you get a return. Produce, 100% perishable. You get no returns. That's the word. Unprofitable. There is none who does good. And he's listening to you and he says, no, not even you. Not one. Wow. What do you do with that verse? Do you agree or disagree? That'll determine where you spend eternity. Hmm. The wisdom that God gives by the uh, illumination of the Holy Spirit reveals God's truth about Jesus. This is the focal point. Jesus is the God-man. He became flesh, John 1, 14. Jesus is the Savior of the world by the mouth of the Samaritan woman in John 4, 42. Jesus is the only name by which you must be saved, Acts 4, 12. Jesus is the only meteor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2, 5. God is very, very narrow. The way... To remain wise is for those having found the Messiah to be obedient to God's word that he reveals. Always, always. To live dependent on Jesus always. To grow, develop, mature in your faith. To be joined to the church. To be in service to the church. To make yourself available. To bring your children. I just walking down the, the hallway before I came on. I see uh, two sisters and older. And she's fixing her little sister. What a, what a joy to see stuff like that. And the kids love to come. They grow. They learn. What a blessing. Amazing. To live a crucified life under the power of the Spirit of God. To be a witness for Jesus passionately for His church and for His coming for His church and for His second coming. And that my life indicates that clearly. The scripture says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, one thing, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Philippians 3, 13 and 15. One thing is needful. Ready? Forget those things that are behind. You cannot drive home looking backwards. You won't get out of the parking lot. Don't live your Christian life like that. You'll be crashing all the time. One thing needful. The old man's dead. You've been buried with Christ. Wow. The wise men found the king of the Jews to worship him. Do you worship Jesus? You drive down the freeway just thanking him and worshiping him? When taking a shower and you think of God's goodness, when your eyes first light up and wake up in the morning, Lord, thank you. Do your kids see that or do they just see you lift your hands at church and nowhere else? They'll be the first one to bust you. This is the account of the wise men regarding the birth of Jesus that is unfolded in these three movements. The wise men came seeking out the king of the Jews at Jerusalem. The wise men were sent out to locate the king of the Jews at Bethlehem. And the wise men found the king of the Jews and worshipped him. 
Wow. This is where God wants to bring you. Not only to save you, but that you might worship Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your love, your goodness. We love you. We thank you for your word. We pray for those that are listening on the radio and on the internet and here, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts that they don't know you, that you would convict them of their sin and allow them to see your need of you. If you're out there and you don't know Jesus Christ, God has called you to be saved, to repent of your sins, knowing that he died for your sins and he is more than able and willing to forgive you of your sins and to make a new creation of you and to impart to you a new nature to live the life that only he can live through you. But a repentant heart can only come from you. God doesn't force you. If you see yourself as we have described you, and the scriptures describe you as lost, dead, and trapped in sins, but you see that Christ died for your sins, this is your prayer of repentance to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And he's going to save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.